This is the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Fur Neiman. If you're looking to generate wealth and passive income in the lucrative world of mobile home parks, you're in the right place. You'll discover solutions to the common legal and operational pitfalls and how to optimize parks to maximize income. Your host is in the trenches. He's a real estate attorney, financial analyst, and mobile home park investor and operator. Now, let's turn it over to Ferd Neiman. Welcome back, Mobile Home Park Nation. Ferd Neiman here again today with another episode of Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast. Today's going to be a fun one. I'm, uh, I'm continuing my mini-series here on some case studies. I've done three or four. I don't know how many I'm going to do. I don't know, maybe maybe six or eight or ten, um, depending on how different they are and how interesting people think they are. But this one, I think, is going to be interesting. This one, you know, the, the title of this is How to Turn a Hundred Grand into a Million Dollars in One Year, One Park. And this was a fun project for us for, for a number of reasons. And lots of lessons learned, a little luck along the way, good personnel, uh, it wasn't just me, by all means, good banking relationships, good broker relationships, and you know, a couple of good ideas and strategies. Um, in general, you've heard me say this before, you make your money when you buy, you get paid when you sell. Or in this case, I didn't sell, I refinanced with Fannie Mae, so I got paid when I refinance, and I'll get paid again when I sell. In fact, I get paid again every month, so it's a really nice deal. So you may be wondering... How do we make a million dollars on one park in one year? And and this was the one what was really fun about this one was it was a small project, so I didn't have any investors. So you know, not and I appreciate my investors, but um, it's my, my pie. Now now we're we're doing more projects, more bigger projects. We've kind of decided to put investors in you know, all of them for more equity and, and just really more fairness. Um, but this deal came fast and furious on us, so didn't even have time really to syndicate it. Um, Lots of lessons learned. So, this one came to me from a broker, off-market listing. He was just about to get listing. I had a good relationship with him. I closed previously on a, a hairy deal. And he called me and said, Hey, Ferd, I got this old guy. He's, just, he's stubborn as heck, cantankerous as heck. And he would like to sell his three mobile home parks. And he said, he wants 500 each. I said, Okay. About 500,000. I said, how many pads? 7, 17, and 54. I said, do I have to buy all three? He said, no. I said, I'll take the big one. He goes, well, you got to come look at it and get it signed up fast. So got in the car, went and looked at it. My dad went and looked at it. It was a Saturday morning after I went on vacation. And brought an LOI with me. And if you guys know before, I got a binding LOI. If you shoot me an email or sign up on my webpage or shoot me a five-star review, I'll send you this LOI uh, for free. But it's, it's, it's the best LOI around, and it's, it's part of the reason I made a million dollars on this. And as you'll see, sometimes a lot of guys will have puffery and make up the numbers and stuff. And this one, I, I'm, I'm making them up. It was more than a million dollars, and it was, and it was unbelievable. And it was in part because of LOI. I get there, I look at the park, I like it. It's underpriced. I say, I'll take it. Hand the guy the LOI. And he says, what is it? And it says 500 He goes, who's paying the broker? And I said, well, hey, what's your fee? He said, 20 grand. I said, fine, we'll pay 520 Because the old man said, I want 500 in my jeans. I don't want 500 less fees. I want in my jeans. 
So we agreed to pay for the survey. We agreed to pay for the phase one. We agreed to pay for closing cost. And we agreed to pay the broker's fee. And we had it tied up. And he, the old man looks at me and he said, well, where's my money? And I said, uh, well, I need to look around a little more and do some due diligence and get a bank loan and get environmental. He goes, oh, okay, well, just pay me when you're ready. I mean, when I bought it, you know, I just paid the guy right then. I was like, well, things have changed a little bit in the last 40 years, and that's not how I'm going to do it. So he goes, okay, fair enough. So get the LOI, look around the park, looks good. And from a valuation standpoint, it was 54 pads. It had... 53 homes on it. And one of the homes was double white taking two lots. They had 53 homes total. Of those 53, 24 were occupied. And the rest, about 29, were completely vacant and had been abandoned. Either he had title or he didn't. They had been abandoned for many, many years. Some of them were still on blocks. The guy had a transport company. And the old guy was deaf, but he could read lips. It was really hard to communicate with him. So he had to be in person. And... He, he was just a crazy old man. But from a valuation standpoint, I knew I bought it right. Because for, from a, just a basic valuation, I take a pay for occupied lots, 24 occupied lots times 12 months times 395 with the lot rent. This is in northern Illinois, so pretty strong lot rent. Which is 113,760 gross. But I got to take my expenses out. This was not sub-metered, so the landlord was paying for the water sewer. And in this case, it was a big water leak, which parties just wanted to get rid of it. Um, so I take this times a 40% expense ratio, which is a 60% NOI ratio. So I take my 113,760 times 0.6. I get an NOI of 68,256. Divided by my purchase price of 520, I got a 13K. Pretty good. Now, realistically, I didn't even have a, have a uh, 520 purchase price. I had a, I had a, five, I had a 520 purchase price, but I got the guy to give me a $20,000 credit at closing. So I didn't pay the broker. But then I was able to leverage, instead of a $500,000 loan plus pay 20 cash, I was able to leverage 520, which means that extra you know, 75% LTV, for example, on 20 grand, 15 grand more debt, and I only got to put up 5 grand more equity, which was important to meet my, you know, my, threat, my thresholds. So I get the LOI signed, and I send a PSA, and send it over, don't hear from and I sent it to his attorney. He then, gets, he then engages an attorney, not before, but later. I send it to him. Nothing. Crickets for a couple of days. So I call the attorney and say, hey, what's the deal with my contract? You got any You got any comments? He goes, no, your contract's a valid, fair contract. He goes, the, the old man doesn't want to sell. I said, what do you mean I want to sell? We have an LOI. He said, well, yeah, but he changed his mind. He got tax counsel, and it's going to be better for his heirs if he just you know, dies with it. They get a step up in basis, and he don't want to sell it. And I said, well, I have an LOI. He said, LOIs are non-binding. I said, you didn't get a copy of the other one, did you? You just read the PSA. He said, that's right. And I said, are you at your desk? He said, yeah. So I'm going to email you LOI. I said, look at the last paragraph. What's that say? This is a binding LOI. Oh, crap. But the, the parties shall negotiate in commercially best efforts to negotiate a full-form purchase and sales agreement to be reviewed by both parties and their counsel in the next 30 days. If they cannot agree on a final form of said contract, this LOI shall become the binding contract and shall be sufficient for the title company to allow a closing on the premises. And he goes, well, that changes things. And 30 minutes later, I had a signed PSA. No red line. Now I'm in business. So now I go to the bank, go to the local bank, and I say, look, here's the deal. Of these, I got 24 occupied, these other vacant homes, I got to renovate them. They're pretty, pretty rough. So I need, I need, I asked for a construction loan. I was being greedy. I said, look, instead of, I want a 
loan on purchase on 520, but I also want a construction loan of roughly 85,000 to uh, do some capex on the home. So I'll pay for the capex in the park, some streets, some paint, some other stuff. Signage. The bank says good, and the local bank banker said, "Well, hey, I, I like you, but I had some other properties with the, this bank, and it, this put me over two million in loan." And when you get two million, it's got to go to regional committee or headquarters. So local committee in Kansas City votes yes, seven zero. It goes to regional. They vote yes, seven zero. Good. And I put up a twenty five grand earnest money, uh, which is more than usual probably, but I wanted to make that the guy know I was serious. I put up twenty five K. It went hard. I'm ten days out from closing. Bank calls me and says, uh, CEO doesn't like Illinois. High tax state, or Missouri Chartered Bank, no deal. I said, I already had committee approval and regional committee, which was headquarters. Said, yeah, the CEO has the right to veto, he just did. I said, I can't get a loan. I didn't have 520 laying around cash. I couldn't, can't get a loan because I can't get appraisals in this amount of time. And the, the local banker said, I, I feel horrible. So I called a different, different bank that had a relationship with Illinois. And I had a, a good portfolio of those guys, but I, this, this, I wanted to diversify. And I knew that um, they wouldn't do the construction loan, so I wouldn't be as high a leverage. So I went to this second bank. Well, the second bank dropped the ball on me. I called the first bank and said, hey, can you, would you like an opportunity to win my business for now and in the future? And he said, yeah, but I, I can't use the appraisal. I had copies of the appraisals. It appraised at over 800000 So earlier I did my, I did 13 cap, but I'll do it from a valuation perspective. 24 times 395 times 12 months times 0.6 equals, it appraised it like an eight and a half cap. That's eight hundred three thousand. So I go, look, I'm buying an eight hundred three thousand dollar asset for five twenty, and he said, "We'll give you a, we'll give you a loan." He ended up giving me a hundred percent finance loan on this, but he wouldn't give me a construction loan. He said, but "Here's the deal: you have a copy of the appraisal, but I can't get it from you. It's in PDF. He goes, it has to be directed to the bank, and I can't. I don't have time in ten days to order a bank appraisal." So I called the first bank and said, "Hey, you dropped the ball on me. I need you to help out. Can you send the appraisal to bank number two? And have, have the appraiser redirect it. And he said, not only that, I'll eat the cost. So I'm getting out of having to pay for the appraisal. Bank number two gets to use the appraisal. We get it closed within 10 days. Uh, and I got plus or minus 300000 equity. Now, I couldn't get the construction loan. So we're like, okay, well, we I wasn't sure if I wanted to put the cash into the construction or not. The loan was going to be okay. This was going to be a lipstick flip. Um, and what we did was we... We repaved the streets. It was a small repave. It's a small down and back street. There are no common areas in this park. I mean, my, my lawn mowing bill is zero. So we repaved the streets. It's like 20 rows. We painted every single house. It was about 500 a pop times uh, 52 houses because we had 53 out of the 54 lots. The double was on, one double was on lots like 10 and 11. And then lot number four had a really, really bad double on it. We paid three or four grand to get it demoed. We brought in the playground. We found a commercial playground set from a school district in my hometown that was shutting down schools and the, the developer returned to senior housing. We bought three commercial uh, playgrounds off of them for 10 grand. And they're about 50 grand a piece. Now they're 20 years old. We had to cut them off the concrete, transport them, put them in new concrete, repaint them, put railroad, eight, eight by eight, eight railroad ties around them, and then mulch in the middle. I mean, a nice looking playground. So we did that. And then we said, well, now we have all these homes, these vacant homes. We were going to demo some of these homes, and we were going to renovate some of these homes. We get a man, our manager's rock star, and 
he was he had a nice house, seemed like a responsible guy. He said, I can sell these homes. I said, we don't need any money on these homes. If you can fill them, he said, I can fill them. How are you going to fill them? He said, I'm from Puerto Rico, and there's two big factories in town. Kind of an ammunition plant slash outdoor sports plant and a meat plant. He said, they're, they're hiring three shifts a day. So if you, if you give these homes away cheap, I said, I'll give them away. I don't need any money on these homes. So he calls friends and family in Puerto Rico and he says, hey, would you like to move to central Illinois, northern Illinois? Where am I going to live? I got a free house. You got to fix it up a little, make it make it nice, but free house, three months, free lot rent to get it up to snuff. Because yeah, where am I going to work? Meat plant, iron, three shifts a day, ten dollars an hour, indoors. Guy says I'm on my way. And, and this is a unique risk palette that I had to underwrite. There's a lot of times um, you don't have this instance, but I, I grew up in Western Illinois, and there was a meat plant near there. And they had hired a bunch of illegal immigrants from Mexico. And immigration services came in one time. And they told everybody, came in the plant and they busted the plant and they sent everybody home. Well, the plant stopped production for two weeks. What do you know, two weeks later, a bunch of people show back in, up in town, Hispanic folks. They, they had new, new names, new paperwork. But guess what? They moved in the same houses and they had the same number of kids in the school. They looked the same, right? Ice didn't fall for that. They came back two weeks later. None of these people were legitimate citizens. They threw them all out. And this was back in like 2002 or three when I was in high school. Um, threw them out. They sent them home. Meat plant shuts down. So I thought, well, if meat plant shuts down here, it's going to hurt my mobile home park business. So I looked into it, and the meat plant was doing real well, and they were expanding. They had government incentives. They were had re- recapitalized. They were opening a third shift. Okay, the business is going well, but what about my workforce? Well... Puerto Rico is, the Puerto Ricans are U.S. citizens. So there was no risk of immigration control throwing them out. So it was a unique uh, additional underwriting step I had to do. And I don't, it's probably not politically correct, but, you know, I didn't want to have legal immigrants working in, working in the town and living in my homes. And then they all get sent home and I'm, I'm stuck. Because this home, had, this park, small lots, small homes, all of the homes were 1970s. Or 60s. They were not fancy houses. Biggest home was 60 feet. So I had all two bedrooms and one bedroom. So I didn't have a lot of families with kids. But I put the playground in anyway. And it turns out more families with kids, more kids there than I thought. So the old park was named after the owner. So uh, we'll pretend his name is Smith. It was Smithtown. Smithtown Treasure Park. Well, no, no offense, Mr. Smith, but I don't need the ego behind the name of my park myself. So we decided to brand it. Hispanic. You can't say things like no white, no black, no purple. You just, you, but we, put, we put the signage in Spanish, which, and English, but it said Spanish welcome. And I hired a Spanish man, a manager, and we renamed the park, a Hispanic name, uh, Rancho Estates, and, or El Rancho Estates, and we said, let's, and we did Puerto Rican colors, which are red, white, and blue, a little different than regular U.S. color, red, white, and blue, and we said, let's go for this. And we painted every single house, including all the tenant homes. And we, we put gravel driveways in every single house. And we, we fixed the broken windows. And we put steps. Steps were small decks on them where, where they were not present. And we fixed skirting. And we made all the houses look good from the outside. And we created a community. We had a couple bad apples. We had one guy who was a drug dealer. We had a couple guys driving four-wheelers and go-karts around all hours of night. So we put in speed bumps and policed those and got rid of those guys. And we got a couple people that didn't 
you didn't have toilet facilities. They would go in the bathroom with a bucket outside, which was stinking up three or four lots. So we you know, fixed that problem. But it was really kind of a down and dirty flip here. And we, um, we started filling the occupancy. And how did we fill the occupancy? We gave the homes away. But also, also we, we didn't increase the rent. So the rent, what's unbelievable is we filled all these units, we made all this extra revenue, and we just kept the rent the same. This park was uh, inferior to the park immediately across the street. There was a 100-plus pad park owned by a top five operator in the country. And they had a lot run at 350. Somehow we were at 395. I think the old man was you know, taking advantage of these folks. So we didn't feel like we wanted to up the rent. I mean, so we honestly we bought a park that didn't increase the rent. Now, we had substantial water sewer leakage. And the leak was going downward. Most time, you know, the way you look for leaks is you walk the park and you see a soft spot. It didn't rain. You see what you feel you're standing in the water. You must have a leak. Yeah, that's the easy part. The hard part is you walk every inch of the park. There's no water. But your water bill is 15000 a month. You know, what's going on? You check the water meter pit on the master at 2 in the morning, and it's spinning. Like it clearly, there ain't too many people showering at 2 in the morning. So I realized we had a leak problem. And we got the, it wasn't American Leak Detection, it was one of those companies like that that was local. And they got their stethoscope out and their equipment, and they said, okay, here's where we think the leak is, here's where we think the lines are. Well, we dug. Well, we didn't, we couldn't get equipment in there because these homes were so close together and they were, so, and the park was so dense, you had to get there and do it by hand. So our crew dug eight feet by eight feet wide by eight feet down. They couldn't find a line. The line should be like 36 inches down on this part of the earth. They kept digging, kept digging, like, okay, we're in the wrong spot. So we moved over 20 feet. We're in the wrong spot. We have a different crew of guys show up from a different city, and they say, I think based on this, it's over there. And the professional uh, leak detection guys are like, no, no, it's not. Well, we dug over there, which allowed us to actually use equipment, too, so it was easier. And sure enough, we found the main line. And the leak detection company said, you're wrong, and we just wasted three weeks and tons of man hours digging by hand and with bleeding water. He said, my guys never screw up. And we, we showed him the aerial. We showed him his little map with the red line and where it's supposed to be. And we showed him where we were standing. And he said, I don't believe it. And he drove down from Indianapolis. He was the owner of the company. He said, I've never, my guy's never been wrong. I'll be there in three hours or four hours. And we paid him five grand. And he showed up. And he looked at my dad and said, I'll give you your five grand back. And I'm going to fire the guy who did this. So that was at least some consolation prize. But we, still, we lost more than five grand in water and manpower, which he wasn't going to pay us that, but it worked out okay. So we started to fix the leaks. We ended up finding three zones of water lines. And this used to be a, a country field, so there was a, um, a tile drainage system from a, called field tile, where the stormwater runoff and rain and stuff. It was kind of like reverse irrigation, if you will. And it was underneath, and it was hard. We finally found it. We capped some main meters. We re-aligned some, re- re- some plumbing. And all in, we were in for... I don't know, 10 or 15 grand. Um, I didn't do my math, but I'm pretty sure it all ended to less than 100 because I know how much cap calls I had for dad and me on this one. Um, so we're, we're all in for just under 100 grand, which, which is a little distorted because we didn't have to put a down payment down. Uh, we fixed up these houses minimally. We gave them away, and we sub-metered the water sewer. So we bought, we bought Metron meters. We didn't use the smart meters at that time that read, so we had to have our manager read them on a monthly basis. Um, so we, those are about installed are about three three fifty a pop, 
So you know you have about 15 grand there. Um, so all in, we're like, okay, now it's kind of done. Well, I still was a little nervous, to be honest, about the two-horse town, the meat plant and the weapon plant. So I was like, I don't really want to be on this recourse note forever. And I wasn't sure how, how often these people would stick in the houses because I've given away homes before and they, they come back. And they come back. And then like, okay, so it becomes a pain. Then you demo it. I was trying to get out of demoing 30 homes, 29 homes. Um, well, this group of tenants said, no, saddle up. We'll uh, fix them up. We'll move in there and all is right the world. We've had a couple come back, but we've had two come back probably out of 25 plus. So it's, uh, and it's worked out really well. So I, I, I look up and what's my revenue now? Well, now I'm at, I had 54 lots. I lost one for the playground. I lost one for the double. So I've only got 52. I had 51 occupied at the time I refinanced. I had 51. The one was in rough shape. I was having trouble giving it away. 51 times 395 times 12 months. The gross revenue is now up to 241000 I've sub-metered the water sewer. And I have um, low expenses overall because there's no common areas. Minimal to push snow. Minimal to mow grass. There was no grass. I have minimal property taxes because it's a small couple-acre parcel. My density is like, it's four acres. My density is like 12 and a half to one. Um, it's about as high as you want to go. Um, there's higher in some places like California, Florida, older parks, but uh, those are really small cracker homes, 44, 48 feet. These are here for 56 and 60. It's about 241,000 gross. So now with all these expense changes, submarine and water being the primary expense change, my expense ratio is probably 30%. So my NOI ratio is... 70%. So I take this gross revenue times 0.7. My NOI is 169,218. Now, if I still had an 8.5 cap, I'm sitting on $1,999,000. And I made over a million dollars. Pretty sweet. Reality is, I bought it right. It's not an 8 cap. It's now a zero park owned home park, 95% plus occupancy, city water, city sewer, fixed water, newly paved streets. Every home is painted. There's decorative fencing and signage and rose bushes. There's a nice commercial player. I'm probably not in eight and a half cap territory. Well, this deal appraised at a six cap. So divide up by 0.06, I'm at 2.82 million. It actually appraised at 2.8 on the dot. Now, the debt coverage ratio would not cover a 75% LTV. I got approved from Fannie for a 75 LTV, but because of the coverage ratio, it was, they wanted 1.35 for a cash out refinance because I owned it for less than a year, like 10 months. Like if you hold it three years, we'll give you, uh, you know, one, my NOI will go up, but two, we'll give you a full 75 LTV. I said, uh, I don't want to wait three years. So I said, if it was, was going to dial me down to like 70 and a half LTV on the loan. Well, that was a big number, right? But there was no interest only. They said, hey, if you drop down to 65 LTV, which in this instance, is it was a straight 2.8, I'm going to change my calculator, 2.8 times 0.65 is a million eight twenty. I go, well, that's less leverage. They go, yeah, but that's still over a million dollars cash out, and you still own the property, which is three uh, with uh, 35% equity. And if you go 65 LTV, you prove you're not greedy, so we'll give you an interest-only loan for five years. So I end up getting a loan in the mid-threes, 65 LTV, five years I.O., and still took over a million dollars cash out of the property. Oh, by the way, this is tax-free. Refinance proceeds are income tax-free because it's not really profit or income. It's debt. I still got to pay it back, right? But it's a non-recourse loan. So if it hits the fan, 
then, well, sorry, bank. Here's the keys back. Now, realistically, I'm going to fight to keep that property. In this property in particular, my zoning expertise came in exceptionally handy because the city, I got a zoning letter, and I always do a zoning letter. Sometimes the city won't agree, and I don't get a perfect zoning letter. In this case, I got the perfect zoning letter, everything I wanted. It said, the vacant lots, I can put a new home on them. The occupied lots, I can take it away, it can move away, it can burn down, I can put a new home on them. Setbacks, I'm immune from them because I predate the code. These homes are one to two feet, some of them as low as two inches, but one to two feet generally from the fence, which is the property line. So my set, my perimeter setbacks are zero. My internal setbacks are like 11 feet. Fire code is 10. So I barely, so I, I said, man, I'm worried about refilling these homes if they burn down or if I demo them, which was the original plan, I'm not going to refill them unless I get an A-plus zoning letter. Well, the city planning director signs my A-plus zoning letter. Well, it's time for Fannie Mae to you know, do their own reports. They hire an engineer, they hire property condition assessments, they hire an appraiser. And as part of the engineering piece, they, the guy does a zoning assessment. Well, he calls the city and says, he asked the question a little differently. He said, if tornado comes in and wipes out every one of the homes, does Ferd have the unilateral, unanimous, obvious, unfettered right to refill all 54 paths? And the city said, oh, well, if, if they all go away, no, we'd consider it abandoned and he would lose it and he wouldn't go there. Which was distinct from the zoning letter I received 12 months earlier. So you can imagine how pleased I was, because I was this was my ship was coming in and I was about to sink on this because of this guy. So we went round and round and at the end of the movie, the guy said, well, I changed my mind, the letter's not valid. And he's wrong. People can confuse regularly size or setback variances with use variances. I've done some other podcasts on those topics, so I'm not going to get into them um, at length here. But I, I understood zoning. Uh, I used to work for Mike White, probably the number one zoning attorney in the country. He wrote a 3,500-page treatise on the topic that courts had cited as being authority and expert. I used to be his associate editor on that, so I, I know probably 5% as much as he does, but that happened to be a lot more than the zoning director, in my opinion. And every single staff person came in, in my opinion. Um, so I was fighting with Fannie Mae, fighting with the underwriting company, fighting with the engineering company, fighting with the municipality. And I wrote... You know, I, I wouldn't call it a legal memo, but I wrote essentially portions of a legal memo. And I, I finally got hands, my hands on the head of underwriting's report, and I was able to see the flaws in his thinking. And I pointed them out to my sales guy, my, my loan broker. And he got involved, and he said, your point, you make some good points. And long story short, they hired outside counsel. And outside counsel to see who was right. Me or the planning division or the, the engineering company. And what do you know? I got lucky. I had a quasi-public profile. And I happened to have a podcast that says I'm a zoning lawyer, MHP expert. And the guy looks up. Well, I should probably get an expert on this. It's very nuanced. And then she said, there's this guy, Ferd. We should call Ferd. Well, guess what? Ferd's the bomb. So with that in mind, they basically deferred to my expertise. And which was, just, it was this wasn't the most complicated zoning issue that they thought it was. And they just said, you know what? We're a direct balance sheet lender for Fannie, and we have the ability to make this loan. And because it was 65 LTV, because I wasn't that greedy on the front end, they don't have to go back and get a waiver. And they said, we're going to push it through, and if Fannie gets mad, we'll just address that later. Um, and we think you're right. And realistically, it's only going to come up if there's ever a big tornado or fire. 
and we got the deal closed. And what a deal it was that we could take one park in less than one year with less than $100,000 and increase more than $1 million of value with zero rent increase for our lower income uh, clientele. So everybody won. Um, God bless us and everything and everybody involved in this process because we were very blessed to have this go well the way it did. Because it was it was a it was a little bit of a dicey project, it was a little bit of a dicey market, and the park has some hair on it. Um, we had some guys, and I forgot to tell this story earlier. We had uh, one guy apparently allegedly slapped his girlfriend in front of one of his home, and three other guys in the park took it upon themselves to beat him nearly to death, and they put him in a coma in the hospital. And so we don't treat women like that right here. Which, you know, I agree with that. And, you know, I wouldn't beat the guy to death, but um, they, they can kind of appreciate what they did too. Well, that guy apparently used to be in a gang in Chicago. And he called some of his buddies down here, and they knocked on the doors of these three Hispanic gentlemen in the middle of the night at gunpoint and said, we're going to kill you. And the guy's hid inside and the police were called and the police and the, guy, and the other guys from Chicago disappeared for the night and we determined the guy that was beat up we said you're not safe here we don't want your buddies coming back we'd like to invite you to leave but you own your home what do you want for it and, he, and his home was probably worth $2,000 and he said I want five and not a penny less and we wrote him a check for five grand and we moved out we sold that home a couple weeks later for three grand it's the only home we actually got money for um, in this part that we sold. And it stunted a problem that was about to be a big problem. So that made it that made it kind of a, you know, a, a quick risk. We had risks on zoning. We had risks on financing timeline, you know, concentrated employer, small market. So we took those risks, but they were calculated risks because we knew the pricing was right. If I figured a worst-case scenario, we can get our money back out. Maybe, maybe lose 100 That would suck. Maybe make a hundred. That'd be nice. But if we weren't going to, it was very low risk that we we're going to flush a half a million dollars in this project. And with the potential upside, I never performed it to go this well. Um, my plan was to either demo the homes or renovate, renovate, renovate. I think it was renovate 14 homes. I think my original construction loan was um, 14 times 8,000 a piece, 112 grand or so. Um, that's what I was envisioning. And then demo the other 15 homes at a loss of about. Twenty five hundred, three thousand a piece, and then we would sell it for somewhere would appraise that, and and it appraised at eight and a half cap at the beginning. I didn't think it was eight and a half cap market or how or park. Um, I wouldn't have paid an eight and a half cap by any means. I paid a thirteen, um, but it but it turned around and and it appraised it as six. I wouldn't pay a six today, to be honest. But uh, that's kind of how it works sometimes with appraisers. If I asked the appraiser by the way, hey, are you in the business of buying parks? Because I've got one for sale. Um, appraisers can get a little aggressive, um, but then again, the marketplace continues to get hot. This is a world-class asset class, so who am I to second-guess an appraiser? appraiser? So anyway, fun project, still own it. Everything went well. Lots of lessons learned in there, like how to track down the water, don't be greedy on your rent increases. Giving away homes can be an option. In some states, you don't have a habit of warranty of habitability if you give it away. 
versus you sell it. In this state, the municipality said, you can't give these homes away. They're not, uh, some of them aren't livable. So I, I can give them away. I didn't sell them. And we gave them free rent. And we, we vetted the people we gave them away to. We didn't want to give it to somebody that's 90 years old and disabled. Like, they're probably not going to be able to fix the house up. You got somebody who's 25 and he's a contractor with his name on his truck. He's, he's got a tool, toolbox in the back. He can probably fix it up, right? Um, so... Lots of little lessons learned. Getting a world-class playground worked. I got a world-class manager who I gave a, a nice bonus, bought a truck, relocated him to another park. We just closed on, and now he's managing a 93-bed park in Missouri. That's a, it's not as big a turnaround. It's probably as big a turnaround as this, actually. Um, but to reward the people, um, I had great relationships with two banks. So that one of them let me down, but then they picked it back up, and I have another. I'm closing on a deal in two weeks, and I'm using that first bank. I'm giving them another shot and because they were good to me here. And the second bank has been unbelievable to me here. Um, I'm actually at the bank limit for loan size, so I've, I've got to look for two or three or four other banks. Now that I say that out loud on my podcast, I'm going to get 20 banker calls. But um, I've kept, I've maintained good relations with these people, and it's worked out really well. My dad ran point on this project, with our local manager, so he gets a ton of the credit. Um, Everybody's worked out well. Um, no complaints. One of the more fun case studies, I'll tell you. The next one's going to be fun, too. But uh, it wasn't supposed to work out this good, but it did. And who am I to complain? Until next time, thanks and God bless. You've been listening to the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Ferd Neiman. Ready to learn more? Go to www.themobilehomelawyer.com for free resources and materials to help you succeed. If you love the podcast, go to Apple Podcasts, give us your review, and subscribe today. Thank you for listening. Neither the Supreme Court of Missouri nor the Missouri Bar reviews nor approves certifying organizations or specialist designations. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements.